your seats. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. We'll break in at verse eight, first Peter chapter five. Verse 8, let's hear the Lord's word. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren, and are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And God will bless the reading of his word for his own glory. Could we bow our heads, please, in a word of prayer? Let's seek the Lord. We do seek thy face, for thou hast not only commanded it, but such is the language of thy holy word. We find that thou dost plead with thy people to seek thy face. We stand in thy presence because of Jesus Christ, a people redeemed, a people reconciled to thee, a people needing today to hear a word from their God. And in Christ's name we pray that thy spirit will be the real preacher this morning. Cause thy servant to fade away to the background that the Lord himself will be seen. His word, his word will be heard. And we'll leave the house of God this morning rejoicing once again. The Lord has spoken to his children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we come to the final message in our study of 1 Peter, I am reminded once again that the devil's constant aim is to make any and every child of God as miserable as he can in this life, knowing that he will not have that opportunity in the next life. That was the reason he 
stirred up Nero to persecute these believers in Peter's day in the way that he did. He worked tirelessly on bringing sorrow upon sorrow into their lives in hopes that they would either abandon Christ altogether or that they would lose any joy or peace of mind, thereby shutting down their desire to praise the Lord, their ability to bless the Lord, to glorify the Lord, the great end for which they had been created in the first place. How the devil hates to see a happy Christian. So he spares no efforts to make them unhappy. It's also apparent that a major tactic he uses to bring about that uh, feeling that misery is through fear. It would have been the most natural thing in the world for these believers in the early church to be afraid of what the Roman emperor might do to them in his efforts to stamp out Christianity. The physical suffering that Nero could and did cause these believers was incredible. But an even greater fear that would have plagued their hearts would be over whether or not they would be able to confess Christ when crunch time came. It's one thing to suffer physically for a brief period under a cruel tyrant. It's another thing altogether to suffer in hell eternally at the hands of a sin-hating God. And Peter knew right well the power of fear wielded in the hands of Satan. It was the fear of man that led Peter down that dark road where he denied the Lord three times. So the apostle knew what the devil would try to do through this powerful element of fear. Therefore he tells them in the first half of verse 9 to resist the devil and be strong and firm in the faith. Steadfast, don't, don't give up, don't go back. You keep on fighting, keep on standing. But Peter doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with just telling them their duties under such difficult circumstances. In the remainder of verse 9 and in verse 10, the Apostle Peter gives them all the encouragement they would ever need to do and to be what the Lord had called them to do and to be in the face of all of this affliction and all of their fears. In essence, he is saying, yes, you are facing many fiery trials. I don't question that. And the devil is looking to use those and his evil workers to destroy you and your faith in God. That's what he's about. But you keep on opposing him 
and you keep on holding on to God's truth, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but the God of all grace who hath called us into eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. In those two verses, there are two truths that will give any and every Christian that will believe them and embrace them and plead them all of the encouragement, all of the hope, all the confidence they would ever need to overcome this, this fear. The fact of the matter is that when the Spirit of God tells us to resist the devil, resist him, oppose him, fight him, he is clearly telling us that not only are we all at war with Satan, but he's also telling us that all of us are warriors. And we have to think about ourselves continually in that light. We are all warriors. It's not just written to the males in the church of Jesus Christ. There are male and female warriors because it's both men and women that are in war with the devil. And therefore, as, as warriors, we are not only to war against the devil, but we are to war against our fears that bring us so much misery and shut down our desires to praise the Lord and our ability to be happy Christians. Rejoicing Christians. We are to be strong and of a good courage, not weak and faint-hearted. And the God for for whom we fight has given us here all the truth that we will ever need to do that. He is sufficient. And his word is all sufficient. His grace is all sufficient. Against that backdrop in this final message on First Peter, I want to speak this morning to the Lord's encouragement to His warriors. The Lord's encouragement to His warriors. I want you to remember that the last message I preached from First Peter was a reminder that you are warriors. You are warriors. And you have encouragement from God to do what He's called you to be and to do. There are two parts to this encouragement from the Lord for His warriors. In the last half of verse 9, there is an encouraging fact. And in verse 10, you'll find there's an encouraging promise. An encouraging fact and an encouraging promise. Let's look into it. First, an encouraging fact for the Lord's warriors. Last half of verse 9, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. That comes immediately upon uh, Peter's encouragement to them that they are to resist the devil, oppose him, be vigilant, 
all of that. He's an adversary. Knowing, knowing that the same afflictions or sufferings, so it reads literally, are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So by that word, knowing, brothers and sisters, I conclude that there's, here's something, here's a fact that they already knew. You know this. You know this. I am not, Peter saying, telling you something that you don't already know, knowing this. But what they needed to do was to remember it and to draw the necessary conclusions from what they already knew if they were going to be encouraged by it in the midst of the war. Because warriors need to be encouraged. The battle is unending. It's day in and day out. Sometimes it's more fierce than others, but it's always there. There's always a fight. There's no rest, as it were. The real rest comes beyond Jordan, our eternal rest. But we have this devil who's always walking about looking to devour. And so we... We, we need to remember something we already know and to make the, the necessary inferences from it for our own soul's good. Or it's going to be very hard to get encouragement from facts. Just facts. As old Van Til said, brute facts prove nothing. Just the facts by themselves. They must be remembered, embraced, and pled. So the apostle is saying to them, in essence, don't be afraid, but keep resisting the devil and keep being steadfast in the faith because of the afflictions being endured by your Christian brothers in the world. Because of this, because of this what you know, let me deal first with what Peter is not saying at the end of verse 9. He's not saying that these Christians, other Christians in the world, are going through the same kind of suffering that you're going through, so don't feel like your case is peculiar, that you're not alone in this. As if that's the extent of the comfort being offered in that statement. That's true. That truth can be a source of comfort for us to know that we're, we're not alone in our trouble, that it's not peculiar to us. That's what the devil wants to convince us, that no one really understands and no one knows what I'm going through. It's utter bunkum. People do know what you're going through. They might not have your exact situation, but brothers and sisters, there are plenty of people who have gone through what you've gone through already. You're not unique in this. There is no temptation. There's no trial, but such as is common to man. Peter is making a point, however, that goes much deeper than that. And so affords far greater comfort and encouragement to his warriors. The key is a term he uses to describe these other Christians who are undergoing fiery trials and afflictions. The, the, the translation says brethren. 
And that really is not a literal translation of the Greek term. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Adolfoi, which is the plural of adolphos, is the common Greek word, but that's not what's being used here. The word here is brotherhood. Brotherhood. A family of brothers. So the first element in this fact that is designed to encourage the Lord's people as they face this roaring lion and as they face the fear that would naturally rise up in their souls at their circumstances, which were dire. These afflictions and sufferings in the first place are characteristic to the brotherhood. They are characteristic to the brotherhood. So how's that? The question is, so how's that fact supposed to encourage a Christian who is frightened by the attacks of the devil, who's, who's really afraid of the persecution? And if, and if the prospect before you was being put into a, a boiling vat of oil, I think you would be afraid. I know I would. If my number was up to be fed to the lions next week, there'd be more than a little tremoring in my soul. So how's that fact that this is characteristic to the brotherhood supposed to encourage them? To keep them fighting and resisting the devil. Simply this. Afflictions are so characteristic to the brotherhood of God's family, such, such a common mark of the children of God that you could not belong to the brotherhood if you were a complete stranger to them. You could not belong to the brotherhood. If you're in this brotherhood, then that means that Christ is your elder brother. He's called the firstborn among many brethren. And if your elder brother had to experience the attacks of the devil and of evil men, then as a younger brother, you are going to experience something at least of what he faced. Because you're in the family of brothers. Paul, funny enough, used this very approach to the Hebrew believers who were going through so much of the same thing. Many of them, at least professing ones, professing to be followers of Christ, had already abandoned the faith. They had gone back into Judaism because the suffering was intense. And he brings before them the reality of this chastening. He deals with it. And, and, and certainly, folks, you, you and I, and, and I'm, I'm prefacing this because I use the word chastening as Paul. Peter's not using the word chastening here, but that word speaks of training or discipline. It's all part of this. It's not saying that because afflictions come into our lives or afflictions were in their lives, it was because God was dealing with some specific sin against him. 
that's not the point being made. The fact of the matter is there's always sin within us that needs to be dealt with. There's always a, a conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. There's always uh, unchristlikeness within us. And so God is on this perpetual path to drive the sin out, to make us more like His Son. And all part of that is the reason why we have these onslaughts and these persecutions and these afflictions and these fiery trials. And they were having a difficult time with that Peter's day as well as the Hebrew Christians. But, but what, what does Paul tell them? But if ye be without chastisement, if you're without these afflictions, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards. It means illegitimate and not sons. It's so characteristic to being in the family of brothers that you can't be a brother if it doesn't mark you. Who's he referring to when he says, whereof all are partakers? Well, you just back up a verse. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So, the question becomes now, would you give up the characteristic privileges and blessings of the brotherhood, would you give those up in order to be exempt from the characteristic afflictions of the brotherhood? You willing to do that? Listen, I'll take a pass on the blessings. I'll take a pass on the privileges of being in the brotherhood if it will just get me out of these fiery trials and afflictions. Would you? Is, is this badge of being in the family of God one that you would rather not wear if it causes you uh, to be brought into these difficult, hard, arduous situations in life that cause you fear. Surely the true child of God will see that being in the brotherhood with Christ's people is worth it all. It's worth all the pain, the agony, the suffering, the reproach, the hatred the storms, the hurricanes of life, the tempestuous seas, the wrath of hell. It's worth it all. The second element in this encouraging fact is that these afflictions, which all believers experience and must experience if they are believers, have been appointed by God. Look at that word accomplished. The Greek word does not simply mean experienced as so many of the modern translations have it. The word speaks of something that is fulfilled, something that is completed. In other words, 
these sufferings, these afflictions that they were facing under this Roman emperor were divine appointments that must be fulfilled, that must be completed and accomplished. That, that devil and his servants are warring with you. They are attacking. They are seeking to instill fear and bring misery into your life to take away your song, to destroy your pursuit of glorifying the Lord. That enemy is continually tempting you to go against God's will and God's word. But you just, Peter says, you just keep on fighting because whatever they do, whatever trouble they bring, whatever pain they cause, it is as it was with Christ the elder brother what God's hand and counsel determined before to be done. Right? You have with wicked hands taken and crucified him. But what does Peter tell the crowd? What are they praying in Acts chapter 4? You're simply doing what God's hand and counsel determined before to be done. They had to be accomplished in Christ. It's divine appointment. So the persecution and the fiery trials and Nero's lions and racks and boiling oil, that martyred husband or wife or father or mother, they're all part of God's purpose for your life. That's what he's telling him. This is what the Lord has appointed for you. And if the Lord has appointed that for you or for me, the last thing we want to do is to try to run away from it, to get out from under it. Look again and see what Peter says that these afflictions are being accomplished and fulfilled. God is accomplishing what he intended to accomplish by sending those afflictions, those troubles into their lives. He is accomplishing something. He has a purpose, and that purpose is going to be fulfilled. It's not going to end in defeat. Because God's purposes never end in defeat. Even when you don't see it, and when you think and you feel that it's going to be just the opposite, the Lord is accomplishing, the Lord is fulfilling His will in allowing those attacks, in sending grief and pain, even in death itself. It's the Lord's doing. He's got a purpose. It's not the first time Peter's brought that fact out. So obviously, 
The Holy Ghost needs there to be a continual reminder to God's people. This roaring lion who's roaming about looking to devour, who is attacking continually, using evil men to fulfill his purposes, he doesn't do one thing apart from the will of Jehovah. He can't lift one finger, he can't bat an eyelash, if you will, apart from divine permission. Therefore, I, I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to be. The, 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 the flesh cries out, you need to be afraid of the persecution. You need to be afraid of the devil's attacks, of the affliction. But I don't need to. We're one of the Lord's warriors. You know, there are, on the human level, there have always been warriors who were like that. Nothing spiritual about it. They just had a courage within, wherever it came from, it was just a courage. They would go into that battle without fear. No Holy Spirit producing the courage. No eternal truth of God stabilizing their souls. Yet they would go into those bleak situations without fear. Brothers and sisters, if that's the case, we who have the Holy Spirit, we who have the divine Word of God, we who have these facts at hand, we who know that this has been all part of God's purpose, He's accomplishing this for us. They're being sent for a very specific reason, and He will accomplish His purpose. And why be afraid? Why cower in the corner? Why let the fear of the unknown or the fear of the known even make you miserable? Why? I won't go into it this morning, but I will tell you this, and you may or may not like hearing it, but it is a matter of choice. It's a matter of choice. You choose what you want to believe. You choose how you're going to respond. It's not true that you can't help yourself. It's just not true. Not if you're in the family. None of the Holy Ghost is in you. You can. So I don't need to be afraid of the onslaught of hell that it's going to bring about my demise. I think that's one of the reasons why so many Christians in this 
last hundred or so years have latched on to this folly, this notion of a secret rapture. It becomes a pacifier to them. Oh, I won't have to go through any tribulation. I won't have to face those kinds of fiery trials. I'm going to be snatched out. Boy, are they going to be surprised. And they are here. They're going to be shocked. If this was the case, that, that, that the Lord did not appoint these and things to be accomplished in, in the persecutions and those trials and troubles, it means that Satan is accomplishing in me what he wanted. And what he wants is me to abandon the faith. What he wants is for me to give up and not glorify the Lord in the fire. And I'm going to tell you something, that's not going to happen for those in the brotherhood. Oh, they will tremble and their faith will be shaken, but they are not going to abandon the Lord and give up and walk away from God. God's going to accomplish His purpose in the lives of His people. Don't miss the inference we're to draw from that phrase at the end of verse 9, in the world. Your brethren, in the world, all of these afflictions are being accomplished in your brethren in the world. And what about the brotherhood, therefore, that is not in the world? If there's a brotherhood in the world, that means there's a brotherhood that's not in the world. And that brotherhood is already in heaven, and their warfare is over, and the devil cannot touch them. Because God accomplished exactly what he said he was going to accomplish in their lives. So I'm encouraged to resist the devil and be steadfast in the faith because of how all of this is going to end. In the second and final place, there is an encouraging promise for the Lord's warriors. An encouraging promise. In verse 10, Peter writes, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Some take this to be a prayer that Peter prays for these tried believers. I personally don't believe that Peter is asking God to bless these people with the things you find in that verse. I believe Peter is declaring what God will do for them. It's a promise. Verse 10 could easily be read 
But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by or in Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, shall make you perfect, strengthen, establish, settle you. These are warriors that are facing. You can't believe how incredibly difficult the fires were burning. And they needed more than a prayer. I'm going to pray this for you. They needed a promise from God. God shall make you perfect, strengthen, establish, settle you. So, what is God promising to his people? To encourage his warriors in this fight. Four things are found here. First, God promises that he will make them perfect. The perfect, um, in this case, it's not moral perfection. That, that will take place when we see Jesus will be just like him. That's true perfection, but that's not the idea that's being put forth here. It means to make fully ready, prepared, fitted for a purpose. It's the same word used in the Gospels when James and John, Christ comes and he finds them mending their nets. The word mending is this word. Preparing. Getting their nets ready for a purpose, which in this case was fishing. There were things that needed fixing. In Hebrews 10, verse 5, the apostle is speaking there of, of Christ's incarnation, his coming into the world. And the prophets, or the apostle says, A body hast thou prepared me. It's the same word. God equipped Christ with a body to accomplish the work he had sent him into this world to do. And here in this passage, Peter is, is simply telling these Christians who were called to war against this enemy, to resist the devil, that one who was far more powerful than they were, that God will graciously deal with their weakness and their defects so that they will be prepared, so that they will be fit for the battle he's called them to fight. God will do this. He shall make you perfect. By his spirit, by his holy word, God promises to his warriors that he will equip them with the whole armor of God in order that they might stand against the devil and having done all to stand. God will equip. He's promised that. And I can tell you now that the reason you are still standing in spite of many, many years of doing battle with the devil is because God has equipped you to keep standing. You would not do this on your own. You would have been vanquished. You're no match for him. His skill far exceeds your skills.
God promises to equip his warriors with the courage, with the wisdom, with all the strength they're going to need for that lifelong day in and day out battle. He will do that. And he has done that. Secondly, he will establish him. That's the promise. That word means to keep firm and steadfast. You see, Christians, no matter what age you want to go to, but Christians in every age have been afraid that they're not going to endure to the end. Because that's required. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. But they're afraid they're going to turn back. They're afraid that they'll not be able to stand when the crunch time comes, when there's really a cost to be paid for following Christ. They're afraid they will turn tail and run, that they will bring shame to themselves and reproach to the cause of Christ by failing to stand and by making shipwreck of the faith. They're afraid they're going to be a castaway. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Literally, the evil one. God is faithful. To those among his people who thought that God would cast them away because of their sins and failures and their weakness and their fears and unbelief, he says in Isaiah 41.10, and it was so a happy time for me to come across this in my studies. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You have no cause to fear. Jehovah is with you. The maker of heaven and earth. Nothing too hard for him. No battle too difficult to obtain the victory over. No sin that can't be overcome. God said through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, verse 40, I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. I will promise, put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Once you're in the brotherhood, you're never out of the brotherhood. You'll never walk away from the family. He will strengthen them, thirdly. He will strengthen them. 
I think the weakness, perhaps more than anything else, comes upon us and we feel our total powerlessness to lift the sword of truth, to utter a prayer of trust in God, to praise the Lord in song. I am just so weak and powerless. So the promise needed for the warrior who has grown so weary from the constant barrage is to hear Jehovah say, I will strengthen you. What was true of the Old Testament saints will be true of his people now. In Hebrews 11, it says of those saints, out of weakness were made strong. Get that? Out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight. Not before the fight. They grew valiant and brave in the fight. You know, we, 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 we make that foolish mistake of waiting for the, the, the courage before we fight, before we resist. And yet you find that these Old Testament believers actually grew in their courage in the fighting. Which means they went into it afraid. But in the midst of the fight, they became valiant. So valiant that they turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And so Paul would say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because God will strengthen you. You ought to ponder that. that that's, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That really is an astounding promise that the devil will be the one running in fear. That's astounding. So you and I don't have to sit in our corners and cower in fear with life's problems and troubles. That's what the devil wants. Misery. No when you are made strong out of weakness uh, that's when you realize the strength didn't come from within you weren't the source of it he giveth power he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might he increases strength so it's a good place to be to understand I don't have any might I don't have this ability to in myself to do what God is calling me to do to keep on warring and warring and warring I can't in myself but God has said he will strengthen those who are without strength who have no might. Isn't that exactly what the Lord was promising in the next two verses there in Isaiah 40 when the Lord's Spirit moved him to write, even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall but they that wait upon the Lord 
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. He'll make them perfect. He promises to establish them. He will strengthen his warriors. And he will settle them. That means to lay a stable, firm, secure foundation. What's the devil about in all of his attacks? Using the temptations, the fiery trials, the persecution. What's he all about? The devil is all about to drive you from your foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. That's what he's aiming for, to drive you away from the foundation so that you will be unsettled. But God is promising that he will actually, he will, and this is the, the irony of it all. He will actually use all of Satan's attempts to pull you away from that foundation as a means of securely securing you even more firmly to that foundation. Remember Romans 5, verse 3, we glory, Paul says, we glory, we boast in tribulations also. Now, there's a different take on tribulation, isn't it? We glory in tribulations. We revel in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. The tribulation that the devil was bringing, seeking to drive them away from their foundation, seeking to get them to give up, Paul says it's working patience in us. It's working long-suffering in us. It's doing the very opposite of what devil was trying to do. And patience, experience. And experience works hope. Here was the devil trying through these, these attacks, this persecution, to bring us to a point of hopelessness. But it had just the opposite effect. The Christian who's been enabled to triumph over Satan's temptations is stronger in his faith than he would be if he had never been tested. The strongest Christians have always been the most tested and tried and attacked Christians. Always. When old divine said, few things in Christian experience are more employed by God to bring his people into this state of settledness on the rock of Christ than the afflictions rising out of the assaults of the evil one and that resistance to these assaults. The devil assaults, he attacks, we resist. He assaults, we resist. He attacks, we resist. Nothing like that. 
to more fully entrench us in our position. Who's the one giving the promise? Who's the one giving the promise? The God of all grace. The God of all grace. That's the one I set before you this day. Always look to the God of all grace. You'll get all you need, all you'll ever need. God read his word on our souls for his name's sake. We bow our heads in prayer and seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, in the Savior's name, we come to the end of another message. We come to the end of 1 Peter. Lord, we know that all of these endings are but steps to new beginnings. We know, Lord, there's coming a day when the warfare will be ended. And the warriors will lay down those weapons and they'll enter into their rest and they'll be given a crown. Lord, as much as we want that day to come quickly, we understand that we have been left in this world to war against Satan, to not only defend our hearts, our homes, and the cause of Christ against him, but we have been called to war against him to attack Satan's kingdom. Show us, Lord, that dual role we must always play in this heavenly warfare. And as thou dost show us that, my, our God, we pray that we'll fix our eyes upon this encouraging fact and this encouraging promise. We thank you, Lord, this all ends well for thy people. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.